0: So this morning, oh by the way, welcome if you're brand new around here. My name is Stephen, and I get to preach. And so I'm, I'm pumped you're here. This morning, we are in a, uh, a standalone talk. We don't do these very often. We're normally in series. We're going to kick off a new one next Sunday on prayer. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to examine uh, the, the makeup uh, of what we believe the, the doctrine of the church is. Now, this, of course, is not going to be an exhaustive study, uh, but it's going to be a a recap for us or, or, or a reminder. Often we would see Paul do this in his letters. You can read through his letters and there'll be these moments where he'll say, hey, I'm writing this to you so that you know how the church is supposed to operate. So you know how you're supposed to set it up. So you, you know what the, what, what the guidelines are. And we see this all throughout Paul's letters. And so, you know, if Paul can take entire letters or chapters of the Bible to do it, it's probably good for us to pause every once in a while and just remind ourselves what is the nature of, of the church. I would imagine that that a lot of you like showing up to church on Sunday. That's why you keep coming, and that's good. I I want you to enjoy it. I've said often, I've joked, like I, I was like 16 before I knew you were allowed to enjoy church. Like the thought just had never crossed my mind, and then I found myself in a church context, and I was like, this is fine. Like I look forward to this, and I hope you do too. But today, I want you to more than just like showing up to redemption. I want you to believe in it. I want you to believe in, 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 in what we um, are about and what we believe God has called us to be as a church in our city. And our church is uh, the result of prayerful and careful values that have guided us over the years. Values that we hold to, uh, values that we think are, 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 are unchanging, and they come right from the pages of Scripture. One of the ways we say that is when people say, what's the vision of Redemption Church? Simple. To be the church that Jesus came to plant. We don't have to make up our own vision. He already gave it to us. And so this morning, I want to give you seven belief statements. And I think whether you were with us at the beginning or, uh, or this is your first week that this will be helpful for all of us to rally around today. If God willing, our church were to continue to grow, it is important that, that each of us buy in to this so that we can remain the church we feel like God has called us to be. I want to give you first the verses that these truths are built on, and then I'll give you the truth itself or how we say it around here. I'm going to tell you in advance this will probably be a record-breaking sermon in length. I have seven points. I will do as quickly as I can. That's a joke. I'm not going to go as quickly as I can. I'm going to go as a speed that I think is right. Okay. Might as well be honest. First verse, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, You are Peter. And on this rock, the rock there does not refer to Peter. It refers to the statement that Peter had just made, that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, I, this is Jesus, will build my church. There, Jesus is taking claim of the church. He's saying he will build it, that it will be built around him. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's making a promise on the church That his church will not, hell will not stand up against it. That's our first passage for today. Let me give you the next passage found in 1 Timothy. You may have to be a little patient with me as I flip back and forth through the scriptures this morning. 1 Timothy 3 14 through 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. It's God's house, and there's apparently a way to behave which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Those are architectural terms on what the church is. There he's telling us it is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. I'll get to that more in a moment. This is our statement as a church. We believe that this is God's church. This is statement number one that we build on how we do things around here. We believe that this is God's church. By default, that means then that it's not my church, that it's not the elders' church, that it's not the members' church, that it's not the attenders who have been around or give the most or do the most church. It's God's church. And this is more than a statement. It's a foundation which we believe is biblical on how we build and what we do Around here. Within this, then, are implications. First, on what can and cannot change. Let me start off with what can change. This is God's church, but uh, we are then, uh, as all of us, stewards then of God's vision for his church. There's spiritual freedom then to contextualize or modernize in certain ways. So let me tell you what can change. The instruments we play, the drums. Some of you grew up in a church culture, drums equaled sin, right? Those, that can change. What else can change is, 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 is a building or the layout of a building. And perhaps you grew up in a church culture where somebody did something to the building and people got real angry. People left. I can't believe you would do that to the building buildings can change. Ministry structure can change. The flow of service can change. These are things that can change. Here's what can't change. The truth of God's word. A pillar and a buttress of the truth. Always holding on to it. That can't change. The message of the gospel cannot change. For it alone is the power to change. Romans 1:16: For I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power to change lives. And so the, the message can't change. We don't get to pick our message. The mission can't change. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The, the mission of the church to reach people and grow them up in Christ can't change. These are things that aren't up to us to change. This is God's church, His mission, His message, and His word must always be held on to. Can't change. Yeah, we can modernize, contextualize things a little bit here and there, but those ones we don't get to change. Here's what happens. Over time, we can get into this decay where we begin to think that it is our church or it's a denomination's church or it's a particular group of people's church. And then what can um, begin to filter in is doctrine that limits its power, mission that is different than reaching and growing people up fully in Christ. And things can begin to creep in, and it can become more about a, a particular person, a particular small group, or a particular denomination than it can be about what God wanted his church to be about. Instead of being a pillar and a buttress of the truth, it can become a confusing place. As you go, hold on, what do we believe now? What 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 are we going to believe next week then if we begin to change this? These things can't change Maybe you've heard that the church is on the decline. It's popular. You'll see that in articles that you'll read it. And I'll say, the church is on the decline. The church is on the decline. The church is on the decline. I don't just mean COVID. I mean, like, across the whole country, church attendance is down and this and that. And the church is on the decline. And there is some truth to that, church being on decline. But you know, if you look over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and you ask yourself, but what church is on the decline? You know what it is? It's the churches. The denominations that have exchanged the truth of God for lies, that have abandoned the truth of the gospel, that have walked away from Scripture, that have abandoned good doctrine. And by and large, you know what the trajectory of those churches and denominations are over the last 30 to 40 years? You know why? Because there is no promise of God that they will maintain. have failed to be his church because they have allowed key doctrine and they have allowed his message and his truth to be changed. So it's no longer his church. But if you're a church, if you're God's church, then you get to hold on to a promise. You know what that promise is? That the gates of hell, the gates of bad doctrine, the gates of um, uh, uh, abandoning what is true and giving in to culture, which is just the gates of hell in a different form, will not prevail against this church. His church will keep going. This is his church. We just get to steward it. We get to steward it under some, some principles that we don't get to change And so we start with this one. Another element of this is in how you even practically set up the structure of a church. And so let me just tell you what we believe is biblical. In the scriptures, we see um, pastors showing up, or Paul instructing pastors of particular congregations. We see this with Titus. We see this with Timothy. We see this with James. And then him instructing them, appoint elders. That the church was never meant to be a one-person game. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about like church structure and they were like, so you use the term elders? I was like, yeah. like, what term do you use? And they're like, executive team. And I was like, oh, we're trying to build a church. And they're like, well, where do you get that term? The Bible. These are things we don't get to change. Elders lead churches. That's in the Bible, and so and so we use that term because it's in the Bible. And then we get to uh, we have three of them here: Frank, Tom, and myself. We think this is the biblical way to set up a church. And so that's how we operate, because. We want to be his church. I'm going to give you an action step at the end of each of these. First one here for this one is pray for his guidance over our church. Now, you're like, you said our church. I thought it was his church. Okay, you get what I mean. This church. Not seriously. Pray for us. Pray for our elders. Pray for our staff. Pray for our key volunteers. Pray that we would always submit ourselves to his guidance and his leadership over his church. As I've said it before, it can look like a church, it can talk like a church, it can act like a church, but if Jesus isn't in charge and the Holy Spirit isn't the power, then it isn't a church. And so pray for us in that. Now, we believe this is God's church, is statement one. That one's statement one for a reason. The rest of them come off of that statement. Let me give you the next passage of scripture that we build this idea off of, and then we'll go from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so, toward you. Statement number two, we believe that church should be simple but meaningful. One of the best things, compliments that anyone can give when they come here is I go, what'd you like about the church? And they go, it just seemed so simple. What do we do on a Sunday morning? We sing, we read the Bible, we pray, and then I talk about the Bible. And then we come back next week, and what do we do? We sing, read, pray, and I talk about the Bible. And then we just repeat it. And we've been repeating it, I guess, now almost 250 times in five years. And that's it. Why? The point is to get to the point. The point is to get to the gospel. The point is to get to the gospel so that it can do its work in each and every one of us. And we don't want to overcomplicate the points. And so we try intentionally to keep it simple but meaningful. And let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, or last week, actually, Hannah got up here, Hannah, who was singing this week, uh, and, and she recited Scripture. There could not be a more ancient practice than reciting Scripture. There could not be anything that is less technological than reciting Scripture. And she got up here, and she recited Scripture, and it was simple. Oh, and how meaningful was it? I mean, how convicting to hear scripture like that. Like, like, almost like you're hearing it for the first time. Simple, but meaningful. Get to the point. What else does that mean around here? It means a couple of things. It means we show very few videos um, because we're not really about motivation, we're about movement of the heart, long term transformation and change. It means we don't serve coffee. Buy your own. You say, well, why not? Because if we serve coffee, then we have to get volunteers. Then it's going to cost more and more money as we have more and more people. And people are going to spill that coffee. Then we're going to have to pick that coffee up and clean it. And then, worst of all, once you start serving coffee, there is an expectation of what's next. And how do we top it? And even worse, you might just begin to think that this church exists to serve you. Not you to be a part of it. You're like, all that and a cup of coffee and more. That's why we don't serve coffee. I like coffee. You can bring coffee. We don't serve it. What else does this mean, simple but meaningful? Um, it means that we're going to do everything we can to both be modern but not give into to the technology trap. When I say the technology trap, this is what I mean. We did this. It looks awesome. It costs 500 bucks. 500 bucks. You know that screen up there? Okay. Including the wood? And the paint, $300. I've been in auditoriums with $100,000 screens, $50,000 projectors. I'm not saying anything is wrong. I'm saying that what we have chosen to do is to remain simple but meaningful. To not fall in to a trap where someday 40% of what we spend is on technology and takes us away from the point, which is the gospel. When I can put Hannah up here for free, I'll get you a $10 gift card at (laughs) Chick-fil-A and bring people to tears. How much better, right? I'm letting you in here. What it doesn't mean is that there's no effort or creativity. It doesn't mean no simple, but meaningful. Just get up there and do something. It doesn't mean we don't expect people to do things with excellence. It just means what is the easiest way, most inexpensive way, to get to the point, which is the gospel. How do we get there? I mean, I look at our Easter service last week. I thought it was deeply meaningful and moving, powerful. Lindsay and I were driving home, and we were like, how long did that take to plan? I mean... I don't know if this makes you mad or what, but about 20 minutes. I mean, Lindsay and I just sat there. We worked through it. Matthew was in the room. About 20 minutes, we're done. I'm like, that's good. It's about Jesus. Hold will do the rest. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Okay. Simple but meaningful. Point number two. Point number three, let me give you the, the passage for, oh, action step. Action step number three or two is this. Engage in what already exists. And here's what I mean by that. Um, there are right ways and wrong ways to push for more and to push for new. But what we don't want to do is create this um, culture where we are creating layer upon layer upon layer that it becomes impossible to maintain. Like, maybe you've been in environments where, like, this is, this is the coffee pastor. Like, what do you do all week? This is the blank pastor. This is the blank pastor. This is the blank pastor. And then you get a budget. And 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 you get an assistant. 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 And you get a new laptop. 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 And it's like, hey, that person over there needs some food. Do we have any money? Nope. If we all get on the same page on this, though. we just look and we say, hey, we preach the Bible on Sunday. We write a daily devotional on it during the week. And we tell you to get around and talk about the Bible and the scriptures. And guess what? If you do that, I promise you, the friendships you're looking to make, the spiritual growth you want to see happen in your life, will happen. Just follow that plan. It will work. You say, how do you know? I don't know. I mean, it's worked for me, so I'll just a share experience. Okay, number three. Oh man, I got to get going here. Luke 14, 23. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Now we're getting into the heart, guys. This is a particular passage where Jesus is looking and the people that he's talking about right then are the ones who have been the most forgotten, the ones no one else wanted to invite to the party, the ones who, when they got there, you would go, I don't really know if I want to be associated with them. And Jesus says, go find them. Go find them. In our culture, oftentimes, this looks like, go find the single people who find it hard to be in church. Go find the divorced people who don't think they can go back. Go find the people who have been hurt by church, who have quit church. Go find the people who look a certain way. I mean, we had one person, one time they came in here, I said, why are you here? And they're like, because the singer had a tattoo. And I was like, all right, good work, Danny. (laughs) Go find them, Jesus says, and compel them to come in. Go get them because you begin to become a church when you're sitting next to people, when you're serving with people, when you're giving to help people that outside the context of the church, you would never talk to and you would never befriend. And that's how you know you're becoming a church. That's how you know you're becoming a church. Because you look and you go, I don't have anything in common with that person. But you go, but we got Jesus. And that's enough. That's enough. Old Testament reference, it looks like David's cave. Modern reference, it looks like the island of misfit toys. I'll be the leader. Biggest misfit of us all. Not even five six. How do we do this? We have to watch over spiritualized language. That would make somebody who didn't grow up in church really confused. We got to connect with somebody new each and every week. We have to refuse and repent of arrogance at every level. And just remain humble, and when we're not, repent of it. There is no place for pride in his church, nowhere. Means we can't show partiality. James particularly warns us of being partial to the wealthy or the rich. And he says, What horrible motives you must have if you treat the rich better than everyone else. In other words, what he's saying is, You probably ain't a church anymore. <laughs> if you elevate the rich, you can treat them better. Means we have to shut down and refuse gossip every time we get a chance to. It means whenever you hear, but did you know that he or she is going there now, or what he or she did, or I can't believe that he or she ended up there, instead of looking at that and then um, talking about it and discussing it and getting into conversations around it, what we should say is, I'm so glad that that person thinks that we love enough like Jesus that we'll help them back up. That's gotta be the church. It's gotta be the church you know what? This might cost you at some point because somebody might say to you, well, I heard so-and-so was going to that church, so I would never go. And you, would, you should respond with, I hope you don't because I don't want you to ruin it. <laughs> this is the church. This is the church. Can you imagine the 12 disciples walking through and the religious leaders being like, really? That dude? do you know what that guy did? Do you know what that, do you know what that, do, that girl? And Jesus is like, yep, it's my team. Action step, do you love, action step, love every person as you love yourself. Oh, love them all as yourself. Number four. Let me give you the verse. We're in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching." but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's like, I can't even get through this, like without it just like screaming off the page. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into, does this sound familiar? Like, is this not being fulfilled right now? And Paul says, here's the antidote. Preach the word of God. Not, Don't preach culture. Don't preach politics. Don't preach philosophy. Don't preach personality tests. Don't preach anything else but the word of God. It's what people need. And only the truth will set you free. And this is it. Paul says, hey, guys, there's going to be a time. There's going to be a time when when people hear the word of God preached, what they're going to do is, yeah, I'm just going to go over here. And they're going, to, they're going to fall into endless myths. They're going to fall into myths that say, oh, that was a sin back then, but not anymore. They're going to fall into myths that say, oh, no, the Bible's outdated now. We don't have to follow it anymore. They're going to fall into myths like, oh, hell's not actually real. People are going to fall into myths and they're going to, instead of, of, of submitting to scripture, are going to go, I'll go somewhere else where it's a little friendlier. Friendly for now, not eternity. It, scripture, is the standard of truth. It is our authority on life and the church. It is what differentiates us from the world. It is what tells us what is right and wrong. And it must be the basis for sermons, ministry, counseling, discipleship, and community. Got a problem in your marriage? Let's go. Want to figure out how to parent? Let's go. Want to figure out how to handle your money? Let's go. Want to figure out how to get over your worry? Let's go. It's in here. And this is where we have to get our truth on how these things are changed. Anything else? We're falling into the myths. We've surrendered the truth of God for a lie. So, I mean, how crazy is it that I have to say this? Statement four We believe the Bible. We just believe it. I believe it as much now as I did when I was five. I want to believe it as much when I'm older as I do now. Action step number four. Affirm the truth of Scripture. Or said another way, hold the line with us, please. Hold the line with us, please, on Scripture. On just believing it. On just holding to it. On not making excuses for it. Just believe the Bible with us and let it do all of the things that Paul said it ought to do, rebuke and correct and train and release and all of these things that scripture can do. And here's my job in it. Every Sunday, till I die, you guys get rid of me. Maybe I retire. I'll just preach the word for you. That's my job in this, just to preach the word, and then for it to do to me and to you what it's supposed to do to change us. So number four, we believe the Bible. Go figure. Next one, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. By the way, I'm just going to say this. I get more fired up about somebody told me this once. They're like, you get more fired up about talking about the church than you do about anything else. And they're like, why is that? Why is that? I'm going to get to this a little bit in, uh, later, but because this, this was God's whole plan, was that the church was to be his strategy for redemption personally and corporately and collectively in the whole world. And if I were Satan, what I would want to do is just attack the church because then God's plan falls apart. His whole plan was through the church. Number five, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. Paul just like slips in these church doctrines Uh, in in his letters. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What this is saying in particular is that there are a certain group of people uh, in the church and their job is to equip everyone else in the church to do the work of ministry. Our statement is this, we believe in making disciples and servant leaders. That's why we're spending an entire year on discipleship. A few phrases around this is, it is not our job just to make converts, but committed followers of Christ. To use Paul's metaphor, to not just teach milk, but to get on to meat. To not settle for immaturity, but to grow into maturity. To not just be fans of Christ, but as he instructs Timothy, to be a soldier for Christ. That this is not a social club gathering. This is a call every single week to sacrifice your life, to lay down your selfishness, and to pick up the cross of Christ for the advancement of the gospel. That we are to grow up and to give more of ourselves each and every time we gather that that is the aim of the church that's what we're supposed to be about and you get to be a part about, uh, about it phrase to help us understand this idea that the work of ministry is not just to be paid professionals but equipped saints imagine paul Thousands of years, 2,000 years ago when he's writing this stuff, uh, imagine a day he could have never seen this coming when we would like pay people to like be like a third grade pastor in a church. Like you just couldn't have seen it coming. And and And, and money paying people is just a luxury of a modern economy that we now all get to live in. But anyone who does anything in church ministry for pay, if the money dries up, better keep doing what they were doing. Like, y'all stop giving. I'm going to still be here preaching. Because the work was always supposed to be done by all of us being trained up and released, which means our church is just a fraction which excites me, just a fraction of what it is supposed to be because it will never be what we're fully supposed to be until each and every one of you is fully operating in your spiritual gift. In the meantime, we're just a fraction of it. Now, we'll get by on the fraction, but I look forward to the day when that percentage is going up because each and every one of you are operating in your giftedness. And there are things that you guys can do and will bring into this church and will bring into the body of Christ that I can never do, because I'm not equipped for it. I'm not gifted in it, but you are. And the church needs you. It means that as a church, we always have to be willing to push and challenge and say, "Are you growing in Christ? Do you desire sin less? Are you becoming more humble?" Are you giving up more of yourself? This is our call. Action step. Start serving somewhere and get equipped. Get equipped. Get ready to go. Get fired up. By the way, all serving here starts in the same four spots. You're doing something around the building. You're greeting people or you're on the environment team. You're in kids ministry or you're in the band or the production team. It just all starts there and then it goes many other places. You say, well, why does it start there? Because then we get to know you. And then we can move from there. And so it, all, it always all starts there. It doesn't end there. It starts there. And that's how we get to go. Number six. This one's fun. Continuing on in that same passage. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Look at where we're supposed to get to. Unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or maturity to the match. Measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we're supposed to become like Jesus. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There's unity, there's maturity, and there's good doctrine. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the end result, love. Which is also just a reminder to us that as we continue to practice all of these things, if it doesn't result in us loving people, and if it doesn't result in the love of Christ just flowing out of us, then we did something wrong somewhere along the way because that's the end result. It builds itself up in love. So so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by doctrine. So when Reagan wakes up and she says, I want to watch a show, from the time she starts at the stairs to the time she gets down to the couch, which at her current rate is like 37 minutes, okay? It's 19 feet. But she has wanted to watch four different shows. I want to watch this. I want to watch that. I want to watch this. I want to watch that. It's a picture of the modern church. I believe this. We believe that. I believe this. We believe that. Where are you going? I don't know. What does the television say? What does the book say? I'm going that way. No, 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 no. What does this say? Makes it easy for us. Statement We believe in a multi denominational and multi generational church. Okay, this one's fun. People go, hey, Stephen, so is uh, I I literally just had this this conversation at the dentist the other day, okay, which you know how hard that is. And so she's like, so is that a a non-denominational church? And I was like, no, we're a multi-denominational church. She's like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a multi-denominational church? Uh, Let me give you an example. Raise your hand if you grew up a Lutheran. Okay, got a couple. Shy group of people. Raise your hand if you grew up Methodist. Raise your hand if you grew up Baptist. Raise your hand if you grew up non-denominational. It's like its own denomination now, yeah. Everyone's like, wow, the rest of you are pagans. No, (laughs) hold on. Raise your hand if you grew up in one of the more charismatic denominations, Pentecostal denominations. I expected to hear like a wow! <laughs> yes, Lord. Um, okay, raise your hand if you grew up Catholic. There we go. Wow! I almost just said something. Okay. We are a multi-denominational church. Like we just are. You guys just proved it. Right? And I know, I know, like the Lutherans stand, right? Sometimes the Baptists clap, the Pentecostals dance. I get it. And sometimes people are like, Stephen, which one are you? And I'm like, I can be any one of them because they all point to Jesus. And there are moments when I just want to stand and listen. And there are other moments, there's a guy in our church, and I always joke, the moment I see his foot start to move, like if his foot moves, it's freaking Pentecost around here, okay? (laughs) Like, he, like, whoo! Only way. He's just like. He's not even here this morning. His name's Reed. You can make fun of him later. He's an eye doctor. Like, you know, okay. Here's here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we don't know what we believe. It doesn't mean we don't have values. It doesn't mean that we will be tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine. No, it means the complete opposite. It means that we have chosen to unify around core doctrine. It means that we are adamant about that core doctrine, that there is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who sent his perfect Son into the world because we were held captive by sin because of our first father, Adam. We are born into sin, totally depraved, destined to hell, apart from the work of Christ who came down to earth, lived a perfect life, was born of a virgin, lived that sinless life, died a death on the cross that could have been the only death ever to pay the price of our sins, that it was not a cosmic example of love, but that the blood of Christ paid for our sins. He died, and he rose from the grave, and then the Holy Spirit fell and empowers us when we are saved by faith, not works, because it is the gift of God. Then the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us with gifts, and we read the Bible, which is as relevant today, to teach us how to live. And so that's what we, oh, and he's coming back on a white horse. But what about the rapture? It's going to happen. I just lost like 15% of people. But well, what about, but what about, but what about, but what about? Yeah, we can talk about them. Let's grab some coffee. We don't have to divide over them. You know why all those hands went up? You know why? Because somewhere along the way, somebody thought this is worth dividing over. That's why the hands are up. That's why denominations exist. Breakdowns of something bigger, right? Big. And we're just choosing to unify around core doctrine. They're on our website if you want to read them. Uh, and we won't negotiate. Not on those. Not on those. This also means that we're multi denominational in practice. And what this takes is maturity. It takes a lot of maturity because multi-denominational in practice means that we're constantly surrendering rights. You may have grown up in a, in a church where you took communion every week and we don't. And I get that. And on the weeks that we don't, when you still stay engaged, you're surrendering a right. And I appreciate that. You might have grown up in a worship environment that was more charismatic. Or that utilized more of the gifts on Sunday morning. And here, though I always say we are quasi-Pentecostal on Sunday morning, we don't always exercise those gifts. And you're surrendering your rights. And that's maturity. You might have grown up in ways or different areas where you, you, you did baptism a little bit different or you did this a little different or you did that a little different. And what's the point? The point is that we surrender rights for the sake of the unbeliever and for the sake of unity in the church. And we surrender them. And we say, I am not going to elevate this, whatever it is, over the unbeliever. I'm not going to elevate this over the unity of the body. I'm gonna surrender it in practice to preserve unity. Why? Because we can get a lot more done together than we can apart. You wanna know why the Mormons are so powerful? Because they haven't. There's a fraction of them, and they own a whole state. there's power in unity. There can be power in our unity. By the way, sometimes what this means is that we uh, we have different, almost like different experiences in different environments. And so Sunday morning is what it is. You, you've all been here, you know, you see what Sunday morning is and, and all of that. And, and there's a range within how things happen on Sunday mornings, right? There's been a couple times in our church where Frank is coming up and, in essence, given a prophecy. And every time he has done that, you know what you guys have done? All of you. Why? Because it was in the moment, it was in the Holy Spirit. Awesome. But for the most part, you guys know what Sunday morning looks like and feels like. Sunday night, we got a worship experience on May 16th, Sunday night. These are some of my favorite nights of the year. And I always joke, that's when the Pentecostals come out to play. Okay. And some of y'all are going to show up and you're going to be like, did I take a wrong turn? I'm like, nope. Get ready. You're going to learn something. I think that's good. I think that's good. It also means we're multi-generational. And in an era and culture that is so confused about generations, what a time for us as the church to be multi-generational and to honor that, to honor every age and stage of life, and to reflect it in our church. We do that in our elder team. Frank's in his 70s, Tom's in his 50s, I'm in my 30s. We do that on our staff. We have five paid staff members that represent four different decades. We do that in our band this morning. Hannah's 16, Lindsay's somewhere older. Aaron has got to be pushing 70 or something, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, like every like 30 seconds, he's got to go like this, right? So he's, (laughs) just figured his back hurts. I don't even know if he's here. He might've left. That's great. (laughs) You know, what a, what a, what a time for us as a church to just stop and go, let's honor what we can learn from each other across all ages. Our whole women's event that's this Saturday is geared toward that. That's why we're asking you to sign up, because what we're doing is that you're getting put into groups based on your generation. And all we've broken it down into four different age gaps, and there's going to hopefully be two in each generation and in a group for the morning. Because we think this is biblical and we think this is important. And so I hope you come, ladies. I won't be there, but have fun. Step six, surrender your rights. Clint's back, everybody. Number seven. The verse is... I wrote it down wrong on the screen. So, the verse is the one that says, You have been faithful with a little. Now you'll be put over much. And number seven is this We believe in financial integrity as a church. We want to leverage every penny to the full impact of the gospel. And so, what that means is three things. First, generosity. Like we would encourage anyone in our church to do, the first money that comes in, we give out. And so, uh, for us, we call that the family fund. And the family fund is 10% of everything that comes in. We literally put it in a separate bank account. And the reason we do that is because we believe firmly that the first priority of the church financially is to take care of the needs of the people within it. We do not pay our mortgage first. We do not pay our salaries first. We do not pay for coffee first. We take care of people's needs. And for five years, when people have asked and had a legitimate need, every single time we have said yes. And we always will. Because the church's top priority is to take care of the needs within it. We use that fund then to bless people. We use that fund to remember the poor in our city. We use that fund to advance the gospel in our community. And so you need to know every time you give here, the first 10% is being set aside for those purposes. Is there something wrong with your piano? Oh yeah, you can start, yeah. (laughs) I I was thinking everyone was looking at you wondering what was going on, so I thought I'd bring it up. That's pretty. he's good at this. He really is. Secondly, what this means is efficiency. It means that um, the way we spend money around here is asking ourselves, are we leveraging every penny for the gospel? Every penny, every hire, every expense. That's why the stage costs $500 to redo. This summer, we're going to spend $150,000 upgrading the exterior of our building. Paint, parking lot and roof. It's going to look like an entirely new place. And here's how much money we need from you to do it. Zero. We don't need a penny, okay? Because the game we're playing is not running back to you guys every time and saying, hey, we did all of this and the assistant and the computer and the this. And so now to take care of basic function, we need you to cough up a little bit. No, we'll manage what you give us well, and then as you give us more, we'll do more. And in the meantime, we're not gonna pressure, we're not gonna fight you, we're just gonna keep doing with what we have. And God's taking care of us. Get this in March of 2021, more people gave money to this church than attended our church in February of 20. Isn't that mind blowing? That blew my mind. I sent it to Tom and he just laughed and sent me a laugh emoji. Like, that's amazing. Third, transparency. So every year, you get to know, and you need to know how much we brought in, where we spent it, and what we did with the savings. Because it's not our money, it's not mine. There's no profit share at the end. It's not my money. It's his. So, why wouldn't I let you see it? I ain't got nothing to hide. It's not ours. So, we believe in financial integrity, the action step. I mean, I'll just give like crazy. Through a consistent giving pattern, as the Holy Spirit would lead you. Just keep on giving. Why is this important? Why is this important? I alluded to it earlier, but let me tell you. Because I think there are people that are looking for a church. A church. Not a club. Not somewhere they're gonna be abandoned if they messed up. Not something they can uh, uh, not not something where they're gonna come and they're and they're going to, to just hear like thoughts or ideas, but a place where where this is going to be taught so that their hearts can be changed and challenged. And the church is God's strategy for redemption, the church is the keeper of the truth of the gospel. The church is the family for believers. The church is essential for discipline and growth and maturity. The church is the home to the forgotten and the down and out. The church is the champion of justice and alleviating the plight of the poor. And the church is charged with the advancement of the gospel to the world. And his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so if we keep it his church, not ours, then we get to fall under his leadership and watch what he wants to do. And I've done a lot of things in life, but I'm telling you, there is nothing better than watching God move through his Church. I don't want you to believe in what we're doing. I don't want you to dive in because I think there's a lot of people looking for a church. And I think we can do this together. Father, my mind is just going back to that moment when you looked at Peter. Jesus, you looked at him and you said, I will build my church. And you didn't lie. Because a little thing, a little statement you made at Philippi has reverberated through the ages for 2,000 years. It has brought salvation and hope family, generosity, and compassion, encouragement, and instruction. And though the enemy and culture would stand against your church, we stand on the promise that nothing will prevail against your church. So, Father, please... Humble each of us and help us to follow you as you lead. Show us our role. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.